When I left this morning, I went under our, where we keep our presents and pulled one to just illustrate, you know, Christmas is a time for giving and receiving gifts, right? Now, this particular one is to myself from Cheryl. I'll wait until this afternoon tomorrow to open it. But we all love get, giving gifts and we all like getting gifts. Now, when I was a kid, even into adulthood, I loved toys. And somebody, often my dad, would get me some sort of a radio-controlled toy for Christmas. I had a radio-controlled bulldozer. It was about this long and that wide when I lived in Chicago. I could put it on the back deck when it snowed, and on the inside, I was just shoveling snow with the bulldozer. But my, one of my favorite ones was a tank, a radio-controlled tank that actually shot BBs. And uh, one time, we had this back deck, and a raccoon was underneath a, this little, you know, a seat, and he wouldn't come out. So I said, ah. So I got my little tank, and shot a few, and he took off. But my favorite one of all was something like this. This is not exactly it. It was a radio-controlled helicopter. But if you'll notice, there's something interesting about this helicopter. This isn't exactly it. I couldn't find the exact one. See that right there? You know what those are? Missiles. I brought this thing into the office, and we had a bunch of cubicles when I was, uh, I led a church in Chicago, and it was so cool. Like, I, you know, I'd start out in my, my office, and, and there was this gal who worked for us, and she was our graphics person, and her back was kind of to me, to me and then I went, she just, pew, pew, and it was just great. I mean, she jumped out of her seat. That was a great, great toy. I'll have to get me another one like that. Well, I actually did a Google search to find out what toys were really hot this year, really popular. Now, this isn't necessarily in order of what is most popular, but here are some of them. I'll see if I can read. Yeah, you may not be able to read this, so I'll read it for you. These are, this is the Calico Critters Ponies Stylish Hair Salon. So, number two is Star Wars Lola Animatronic Droid. Now, this one's really cool. You put batteries in it, it, moves, it makes all these kind of movements. That's really a cool toy. This one is Snap Circuits Jr., a STEM gift for budding engineers. It's this little board, and do you have one of those? Every time? Oh, they're so cool. You kind of hook wires together. You make all these cool gadgets. Of course, mine was very elementary in those days, but this one's super fancy. Here's another one. Little Live Pets Mama Surprise. Guinea pigs without the cleanup. We've had guinea pigs before. They're cute animals, but they are pretty nasty. A Lego Friends Olivia Space Academy. You know, Legos are really, really popular today. Squish Mallows Mystery Box. Apparently, the Squish Mallows is a real popular stuffy now. This next one is so cool. You're probably going to run out and get it. Jurassic World Dominion. That's the new Jurassic movie coming out. Super colossal. And see if I can pronounce it. It's a Giganotosaurus. This thing is like three feet. Do you have one? She was just correcting me. I was pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> she knows how to pronounce it. This, well, go ahead. What was you? What you say? Oh, it was a TV show. Well, I don't get out much, so I guess that. Anyway, now this next one isn't actually one that's super popular, but I thought this is so cool. This would be a great Christmas present. Your own personalized bobblehead. You know, put one on your desk. You just. 
all that kind of stuff. So anyway, if you have any ideas better than that, just see me afterwards. Gifts are, mentioned to, um, are meant to be open and to be enjoyed. Now, on a much grander, much larger scale, God has given believers some incredible gifts that we're to open, so to speak. We're supposed to use, apply, and experience. So here's today's big idea. You can make this a great Christmas if you open five gifts that God has given us. So we're going to look at these five gifts that we see from the Christmas story. And uh, I'm actually going to use a passage that uh, Pastor Neil used last week, but approaching it from a little different perspective. If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 56 through 80. So if you'd stand and I'm going to read this. Kind of a long passage, but it's just so rich. So Luke 1, 56 through 80. Just follow along if you uh, don't have your Bible in front of you. Verse 56 says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, for they shared their, her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. I'll explain why that was the case in a bit. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. There's a clue there. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. A lot of chatter going on. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? The Lord's hand was with him. And then this is what's called Zechariah's song. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, which is what John the Baptist did, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel." All right, you can have a seat. Long passage, but really, really powerful truths in there about the, the Christmas story. So let's unpack that a bit, okay? So it's at verse 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. Now, Mary and Elizabeth were relatives. Elizabeth was much older. She was, she was childless. She was married to this godly priest called Zechariah. 
And they served the Lord for so many years. The angel Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah months before and told them that their prayers for a child would be answered and they would have a son. And this angel said, you're supposed to name him John. And that would be a very special name because God would use him to bring people back to faith, which is what John the Baptist did. So John the Baptist was kind of like Jesus' advanced man preparing the world for Jesus. They were contemporaries. They lived about the same time. And 57, when it's time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And it says, because this is you know, a small town, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. So joy is really twofold here. One, joy at her having a child. She was old, she was childless, and if you're a woman in those days, you didn't have a child, it was considered that God had cursed you for, for some reason. So having a child, having a child in old age was gr a great time of rejoicing, and all the friends and family came and rejoiced, and they spread the word. But there's another one, a little clue here, it's a little more hidden. This joy points toward messianic joy, messianic joy. And what I'm saying is that when Mary arrived and she was visiting Elizabeth, John the Baptist was in Elizabeth's womb, Jesus was in Mary's womb, and then when Mary walked into the, her house, it says that John the Baptist jumped for joy because in some supernatural, miraculous way, this preborn John the Baptist knew that Jesus was right there. Now, remember our big idea. What well, Nehemiah 10 reminds us about the joy of the Lord. Here's the big idea. Five gifts God has given us. Here's the first one. Share in other people's joy. You see, God kind of hardwired in us for, for us to want others to share in our joy. Our kids, uh, you know, they would often make craft projects when they were kids. And Tiffany was crafty and Heather was crafty, kind of artistic. My son Josh, he did not get that gene because I don't have that gene either. But if you can imagine, I'm sure there were these times when he was younger and he, you know, drew out his picture. And as little children will do, they'll go to their parents, like he would come to me and say, Daddy, look what I did. It may look like nothing, but what does a good dad do? Oh, that is just beautiful. You just did a great job. We are made for, for others to share in our joy. More than any other group of people, I believe followers of Jesus should be the ones sharing in others' joy. They go on a nice vacation. They share with you about that. You're experiencing their joy yourself and for them. And they get a new car. They get a new house. We should be more than any other people, the kind of people that take joy in others' blessings. All right, back to the story here. On the eighth day, uh, they came to circumcise the child. It was common for Jewish families to have the boy exercised at uh, day eight. And they were, were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. Then they said to her, well, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Now, in those days, sons were often named after their dads or their grandfathers. What it would do, in, in a way, it would kind of uh, kind of keep the the various families uh, distinct and avoid confusion as land was passed down. Kind of like my full name is Charles Murray Stone Jr., which means my dad's name is what? Charles Murray Stone Sr. My son's name is Joshua Charles Stone. Our grandson is Judah Charles 
stone. So you see, kind of have that, it's kind of like honoring that name through the family tree. This is kind of what they were saying here. And there was nobody, you know, like, wait a minute, there's nobody in the family line. His name's Zechariah. Well, they said this. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Father had the responsibility for naming the children. Now, nine months earlier, the, the, the angel told Zechariah they'd have a child. He didn't believe, and so he went mute. He couldn't talk. So the people assumed also they, they couldn't hear, and that's why they made signs to him wondering what his name would be. Well, he asked for a writing tablet. Now, writing tablets in those days, you can imagine like a, just a piece of wood with some wax on it, and it would be etched in there. So what he did was, when they asked him that, he took that writing tablet and he wrote J-O-H-N. Of course, obviously, in, in his language. And it says in verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak praising God. Now this was not just conversational speech. A while ago when I read uh, that portion that, that captured his, what he was saying, it wasn't just normal conversational tone like this. It was full of excitement and joy because Zechariah knew this was an extremely important moment in history. Then he says, the neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about this. A lot of good chatter going on about this amazing thing that had happened. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And that word hand is actually a metaphor for protection or favor. So he was favored. Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Now, a few verses earlier, we have, there's a passage of Scripture that talks about Mary just glorying in God. That's called uh, the Magnificat. It's a, word, it's a Latin word. This one is called Zechariah's song. It's called the Benedictus, which means praise be. There you go, those first two words there. Now, Advent are the, first, are the four weeks coming up uh, into the Christmas time, and it means coming. And so here, what he's saying is he has come. Here's gift number two. Rejoice in your redemption. Because over here, in this verse we just looked at, it says he has what? Redeemed his people. So rejoice in your redemption. Now, redemption is something that is filtered all throughout the Scripture. And uh, I don't know where I got this quote from. I didn't reference, but this is a great quote that describes what redemption really is. So here it is. I'm going to uh, uh, kind of a phrase at a time. To redeem is to purchase back at a cost. We originally belonged to God, but we became lost through sin. Sin separated us from God. Here's the next part of it. The requirements of God's holiness righteousness and glory were so great upon us that it was impossible for us to fulfill them. We couldn't do anything about our sinful propensities in nature. However, God paid the price for us through Christ, repossessing us at a tremendous cost. Christ died on the cross to redeem us his blood obtained an eternal redemption for us. Now, let me illustrate redemption. I have several uh, good childhood memories, and one of them was around something called green stamps. Now, 
they didn't have green stamps up here, but uh, Loblaws had something called Lucky Greens. Anybody remember Lucky Green? Is it really old? Anybody remember? Somebody's, anyway, they had green stamps. This was Canada's version of green stamps. Now, here's what green stamps were all about. When you would go to the grocery store, uh, they had this little kind of uh, circular little machine. It looked, looked like an old phone, uh, you know, with all the little holes there. And however much you spent, you'd get these green stamps. And so the person checking you out would tear those off and bring those home. And you would get these. These were the books. See the book right there? They were blank. And so you'd lick these stamps and you'd fill these pages. And when you get enough, you would go to the redemption center. And at the redemption center were all these kind of things you could redeem uh, your, your stamps for. Now, actually, folks, th- now this is really old. I think my dad still has that waffle maker. <laughs> and I think we got it at SNH Green Stamps Redemption Center. This whole redemption process was so exciting for my sister and I. We'd go in and we'd have this big old stack and we'd get to pick out things. And I, I think one time uh, my mom allowed me to pick out some hedge trimmers, I guess because I cut the grass. You just remember those things as a kid. Well, on a scale a zillion times greater, because we were in bondage to sin, we could do nothing to redeem ourselves. Only a price beyond comprehension would be sufficient enough to redeem us. Here's what Peter says. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with what? The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So the price for our redemption was a price so great that we could not even imagine, but God made a way by putting on human flesh. His son came and died on the cross. Now, go back to this again. Rejoice in your redemption. That is a a, a crucial gift, to rejoice in what God has done for us. Let's go to the passage again here. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he said through his holy prophets, of long ago. Now, horn was actually a common Old Testament metaphor for power because, you know, like you can imagine big oxen with horns. It's a word picture used here to point to God's power that resides in Jesus. Horn combined with salvation means that the strength of our Redeemer, Jesus, was so powerful enough that he could save all people's sins. Every person who trusts in him, their sins are forgiven. Then he goes on to say in verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Now, who are our enemies? Sin, Satan, demons. When Christ dwells in us by his spirit, he gives us the power to resist those. 74, to enable us to serve him without fear. Now, here's the key phrase here. In holiness... And righteousness before him all our days. Now here's gift number three. Abide in holiness. Abide in holiness. Now, you don't have to answer out loud. But when you hear the word holy, what pops into your mind? You don't have to say that out loud. What pops into your mind? Well, here's what pops into my mind. The holy Bible. A, a holy God. Holy communion. O holy night. 
Those are all positive connotations. But you know, sometimes what can pop into our mind is someone like who is holier than thou, someone who thinks they're so much better than everybody else and have these rigid rules of do's and don'ts. That may have popped in, into your mind. Well, let me explain to you what holiness really means. We get some ideas from other places in the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to what? Live a holy life. So whatever this is, we're supposed to live it. And then 1 Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in what? All that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Holiness in the Bible really means... Uh, moral wholeness, moral purity. It includes kindness, it includes mercy, and moral blamelessness and godliness. It's always spoken of in a positive light. Holiness is something that should spill out of us as believers. It's, it is living out a divinely implanted disposition. The very point of your salvation, God planted into you and me a moral disposition to want to live a clean holy, God-honoring life. I have a quote here. I don't know where I got it because I didn't uh, note the the author. But here's what what I want to add to this. He says, it's what God requires is holiness. And God requires only what he's already placed in us. See, at the very point we came to faith, we were were called holy. Not holy like God, but there's this new relationship we have. So God sees us, sees this new life in us. At the very point of salvation, this quote continues, God planted in you a disposition a strong desire to live for him, to be holy, and he gave us the power to do so. You see, as long as we're here on earth, God's going to be true and faithful to us. You know what he wants from us? To reciprocate. Here's a, another quote, and I got the author on this one. This is Blaise Pascal. He was a scientist. He was a Christian philosopher many centuries ago. But just read this to yourself. Isn't that a great quote? The serene beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the power of God. Holiness. First goes on to say here, this section. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Now remember, the prophets weren't around for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. So this is the clue to the next gift. Gift number four, relish your forgiveness. Forgiveness means pardon. It means that God treats us as if we have never sinned. He's forgiven all of our sins. And to have assurance of salvation means to have assurance that all of our sins are forgiven. Now Matthew wrote this. He said, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because what? What's he going to, will he do? Save his people from all their sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, God wants us to live out a holy God-like life. And that means moral purity. And it's tough in this culture. I mean, just, you know, you read the news, you look at the news, like, oh man, we are <laughs> going downhill. But with the power of Christ, we can still live holy lives, even in the midst of a culture that's opposed to that. He goes on to say here, 
because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Remember for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were no prophecies. And because of his mercy, he has brought us out of spiritual darkness. Because if you were here last night, we talked about the very end when we did the candlelighting ceremony. We said that Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. And he goes on to say, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is gift number five. Pursue peace. Now, there are actually three kinds of peace. First kind is peace with God. When you confess your sins, you place your faith in him, you have peace with God. Romans 5 speaks of this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's one kind of peace. There's another kind of peace. This is internal peace. This is that sense of just feeling it at peace. Now, this is really actually a cooperative thing between us and the Holy Spirit. And that internal peace is partly dependent on what's going on in our bodies. Our blood chemistry and our neurotransmitters and hormones, if they're out of whack, and sometimes they're out of whack, uh, not due to any kind of sin, can rob us of that sense of internal peace. Oftentimes we need a good friend to help us walk through that. Oftentimes we need to change our thinking, maybe a counselor. Sometimes medicine is needed to bring those levels back into proper levels. Third kind of peace, peace with others. Now, read this verse to yourself. There's a real key qualifier there. What's the qualifier? If, as far as it depends on you, some people don't want to live at peace with you. You may have done everything in your power to restore a relationship, and they're not interested. Scripture tells us here, if it's possible, it's not always possible. But anyway, that is the third kind of peace there. Ultimately, though, whatever kind of peace, the source is in Jesus. All right. So, pursue peace. So, for you, you may need to pursue peace with God. You may need to work out a relationship. You may need to work on your thinking so that you experience more of this internal peace. So, let's review those now. These five gifts God has given you. As I, I list these again, ask yourself, okay, which one am I probably strong in? Which one do I really need to do some work on? So here we go. Share in other people's joy. Rejoice in your redemption. Abide in holiness. Relish your forgiveness. Pursue peace. Now, which one of those would you say, you know, God's given me the ability to really be strong in that area. Let's, let's just say you pick this one. Maybe you're the kind of person that you love when others come to share with you their, their blessings and you just enter into that joy. Maybe that's your strength. Well, if it is, just say, Lord, thank you for giving me that strength. On the other hand, which one of these needs some attention? Uh, let's say, I'm just picking one out of here. Uh, number four, relish your forgiveness. Maybe you're holding something against somebody else. You've not forgiven them for something they did to you. Maybe that's something this week you really need to focus on. So I just want to encourage you this Christmas as we enjoy being with families, we enjoy the, all the things that remind us of what this season's all about, to think about these gifts that God has given us that he wants us to use and exercise and to share. If there's one you're doing well in, thank God for that. If there's one you need to give some attention to, give attention to that. All right, let me pray for us. Then we have a final song.
Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for this time of the year as we stop and reflect on the birth of Jesus, uh, the incarnation, God becoming man. Thank you so much for that. Lord, we thank you for the, the gifts that you give us through friends and family. But Lord, we thank you most of all these incredible spiritual kinds of gifts that we should uh, relish and appreciate and enjoy and share. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, uh, draw our minds back to some of these gifts and may we faithfully uh, use them, enjoy them, and share them. And we pray this in your name. Amen.